Hey everyone, I'm Mark Talbot from 20 Foot Radius. And I'm Derek Myers from DungeonsMaster.com. I'm Craig Sutherland, and you're listening to Recounting Encounters, a D&D Adventures League podcast. A show where we talk about D&D encounters, D&D expeditions, D&D epics, and exploits from our D&D home games. Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode of Recounting Encounters. We are tonight going to talk about a little bit of news that's happening in the D&D world, as well as we're going to talk about our Gen Con experience this year. That's Gen Con 2015, for those of you that are not with it with this year. Um, I guess for those of you listening <laughs> to the archives years from now... <laughs> This is 2015. This will go down as a classic episode. <laughs> yeah, a very special episode of Counting Encounters. Uh, let's give it, let's hand it right over to Craig. Craig, you've got all this fancy dancing news for us. Yeah, so over Gen Con, in, just a little bit before, lots of stuff happened, just little bits here and there. Uh, so I guess starting uh, from the bottom here, most people, if you follow the Unearth Arcana uh, articles would have seen that they have their take on the modern magic. Uh, sorry, on a, a D20 modern? Is that what it was called? Yep. Basically, modern rules, they touched on a little bit in the DMG. Now they have an Unearthed Arcana uh, article up for you to peruse if you're into that. Now, I have to admit, I have not uh, ever been terribly interested in the D20 modern, but it's there for those who, who uh, were interested. And I think, Derek, you were saying that you had the original book, right? Yeah, I picked up the book like when it first it. came out way back in five day, and I liked it. It was a very simplistic, uh, pared down, uh, third edition kind of uh, rule set. Uh, the problem was none of my guys in my home game were at all interested. They wanted to stick with D and D. So, I mean, I bought the original book. I read through it. I liked it. I actually borrowed some ideas from it for other campaigns, but I never actually introduced anything modern. I didn't do guns or cars or spaceships or anything like that, but I, I mean, it was an interesting read. So the Unearthed Arcana, like you, I, I saw it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I gotta be honest. I looked at the pictures. The art looked cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I've done. And again, I don't think my personal group is going to have any interest in doing it, but it's always an interesting exercise to read through how uh, the people who make D&D have interpreted this kind of uh, massaging of the fantasy role-playing to give it that modern flair. I mean, this is that modularity they talked about when they were doing the playtest, yeah. right? So if you want it, it's there. If you don't want it, don't worry about it. And I think it's a good indication that they're, you know, they're thinking about what other people want. Like, I mean, you know, modern is not... It's not like there's a huge community, and there maybe maybe there is, maybe I'm wrong, but there's not a huge community, cry, you know, crying it for uh, these modern rules. So, but they're still thinking about because there's certainly would be some people. Um, I would think that the steampunk yeah. community might be interested in it. Yeah, I think that's probably more where they're leaning towards. But again, from personal, just like right from personal experience, my home group, the groups I play with at the store, generally the gamers that I talk to, this does not seem to be something they're looking for in Dungeons and Dragons. Those that want sci-fi hardcore, they're playing Star Wars. Yeah, well, that yeah, or something I mean, like cyberpunk or traveler, yeah. traveler, yeah, yeah that kind of stuff. Like that. But I mean, it's there for anyone who's interested in it, though. So that's yeah. that's cool, right? Well, I guess it would be fairly interesting because it's playing by the by the fifth edition rules, which is very, you know, it, it would be something familiar, it'd be something easy to get into, or a one off spin, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, 
Indeed. Or if you're, I mean, for those people who are just getting into role playing, like if you're younger and D and D is the only game you've been exposed to, this is a chance to get a feel for some of the other genres without having to drop a whole lot of money on other alternate rules and books and stuff. So there, there's definitely appeal, right? There's definitely market for it, and obviously Wizards did their homework and they realized that, which is why they put it out. But at the same time, you notice this wasn't an Earth Arcana issue one; it's like issue what seven or eight. So it was on their list of to dos, but it certainly yeah. wasn't the top. So that should say a little bit of it. Right. All right. Yeah. Next. Next. Uh, yeah, on the Tome Show, you can uh, download some interviews with Jeremy Crawford and Mike Merles. And basically, it's them. Is over Gen Con. They were talking about um, basically their headspace for the making of fifth edition and as well where it's kind of going in the future. So, you know, you're going to. They address in there that. Um, uh, I know one of the things Mike Merles had had said because they asked him about like anything he didn't like or whatever about fifth edition now that he's had time to look back and one of the things interestingly that he said that uh, he wasn't as happy with was the subclasses for the fighter the champion and the battle master he thought that they were although they you know they have different mechanics they just felt like flavorfully they just didn't make sense like he's like like for example like what's a champion and what's a battle master at least that's what he that's the way he felt I don't know what do you guys think of that they're immensely popular I'm seeing more fighters in this edition than I've ever seen from advanced players. Typically, the fighter is the guy you give to the new player because he's the simplest class to work with pre- without previous experience. Fifth edition, I'm seeing more fighters being played and being gamed by some yeah. of the most experienced players because they have so many <clears throat> options available. Now, to be fair, like to be fair, he isn't saying that you know that they're not uh, popular classes. It's just that he didn't like flavorfully how they turned out. Eh, fighter's a fighter. I couldn't care less, to be honest. Yeah, that, that's kind of how I felt. As long as he kills like, monsters, well. he's good. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but anyway, uh, otherwise, you know, they t- they talk about their position sort of on, on the big cons. Like, uh, Gen Con is more for the gamers. Like, that's where they want to focus on the public play. Whereas PAX, they're going to, you know, continue things like uh, panels. The justification for that being, like, at PAX, they can fill an auditorium hall of, like, 600 people for, um, you know, for a panel. Whereas in... Gen Con, you have a significantly smaller portion of that for our panel. So, anyways, that's that's what they were uh, mentioning. But we'll, we'll talk a little more about that kind of stuff later. Um, but beyond that, um, so yeah, those are those are pretty good interviews. So each one is like forty-five to fifty minutes a piece. Uh, but other th- other than that, they have um, uh, Sorcos Legends delayed by three weeks. Which uh, you know, Sorcos Legends is uh, is the upcoming video game. It, I think it was supposed to be. Early in September. Now we're looking at the basically the end of September. It's going to be coming out. So, but I mean, it's three weeks, right? Like you'd rather they put the time in to uh, polish it up rather than release something. What did else. they give a reason for the delay? No, it's just one of those like uh, we need a little bit of time to polish things. So up. they're I, they're pulling a Neverwinter. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But you know what though? Like, because if a game releases and it has like a game killing bug right at the gate or something, or something that's just not polished, you're going to get killed on it right from the beginning. Yeah, kind of like SimCity, right? How SimCity 3 came out and basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can look at a lot of video game releases and there's countless examples of, like, you know, just delay it until it's it's actually ready to go out there. So time will tell on that one. Um, but, yeah, and, but I think that what they're doing now, uh, anyone who's pre-ordered it will now get the Rage of Demons storyline module for free uh, because of the delay. It's the sort of, like, sorry, we had to delay it kind of thing. Um, I guess otherwise, then, uh, there's the, uh, the Cobalt Press... Uh, thing where they've cobalt presses thrown their hat in the ring and have started 
testing out uh, the fifth edition content despite not having any kind of a proper licensing procedure yet. So obviously, uh, well, if you haven't uh, been following fifth edition the whole time, Cobalt Press also did the uh, Tyranny of Dragons books initially in the cooperation with Wizards. Uh, But now they're putting out their own stuff. Just a couple little books that they premiered at... um, at uh, at the Gen Con, and I think Derek, you were actually at their panel they had, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, I was. They uh, basically they confirmed that they had two books available for sale at Gen Con. Uh, I think they said they were about twenty four pages each. They were largely based on materials that they had already put together pre- for previous editions and had updated for fifth edition. The idea was because they didn't have an open gaming license official. They didn't want to put a lot of time and effort and money into something they may have to pull if they get a cease and desist. So this was a good way to take what they already had in-house, put just a little bit of work into it to make sure it met their quality, and then put it out for a very reasonable price. The one book was uh, player options. It had a couple of new race options and I think some alternate class selections. And then the other one was a 24-page adventure, which was um, – a re a reimagining, if you will, of something they had previously published for Pathfinder as a first level mod. They put it together as D and D fifth edition for a third level mod. Uh, having not played Pathfinder, that the I can't think of the names. Uh, they mentioned what it was, and it meant nothing to me. But I could see a lot of heads around me nodding that were very familiar with the, the with the uh, the property right away as soon as they heard what it was. But I I didn't actually get a chance to see the books. They didn't have any there with them at the. Uh, at the seminar, and I didn't, uh, I, you know, when I wandered through, I wandered through the vendor hall three times, and I just never wandered past their booth. Yeah, they were tucked away in the corner, but uh, I did actually make a point to go pick them up. I haven't read through them yet, but they are, they were very cheap little, little bucks. I thought I'd support it, you know, and just see what it's like, and uh, see where it goes from there eventually, and actually, going back to that interview with with uh, Mike Merles Crawford, it sounds like they're, they are still working on some kind of third-party licensing deal. Uh, still, you know, no surprise, no, nothing to announce about it yet, but it is still in their minds. Um, but yeah, the, interesting to note, though, that uh, the options book that they put up, they had a PDF release for it, so you can get it on PDF, but uh, I guess since Gen Con, they've actually taken one of the books down and have since reposted it, and I guess uh, what some, what the difference was, was I guess they had used uh, some text directly from the Dungeon Master Guide regarding the Asimar race. And uh, I guess it was word for word in there, and now apparently that's gone, from what I understand. So, you know, that that sounds like two things. You know, maybe they, you know, Wizards got in touch, said just change this or whatever, but that also says that they're not exactly going after people and wanting them to, to shut it down unless it's like yeah, a it's, direct... It's a slippery slope. I mean, I, I was looking at it, and I was having a discussion with somebody earlier about that, that whole Cobalt Press thing. I mean, um, if Wizards doesn't go after them... Well, that just opens up a floodgate for anybody else that wants to go and publish, correct? Well, I mean, it sets precedent, right? And that's how the U.S. legal system works, is uh, largely on precedent. What's happened in the past, you know, you're setting the foundation. So, I mean, I can see pros and cons against it, but at the end of the day, if it's going to bring more players to the game, which ultimately means people need to buy a player's handbook and a Dungeon Master's Guide, I got to think that Wizards in some way will support it, even if for now they don't have a full-on open gaming license but but conversely let's say that most gamers have already bought a player's handbook and a dungeon master guide and all of a sudden you have 10 12 15 publishers that are going out and doing this ogl stuff and wizards isn't putting a stop to them um you know wizards going to lose out a lot of money in the long run yeah i guess yeah we'll see how it plays out yes it's the precedence it's really interesting because go ahead 
Well, I was going to say, keep in mind too that they're the they are certainly not the first ones to put out an unlicensed third party product, right? There's been a lot of them at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and again, like some kind of more significant ones. I know that uh, Wolfgang Bauer was, you know, I think Derek, you mentioned that he, you know, didn't want to put it something really big, thick hardcover book, and then suddenly be out a huge amount of money, right? This is just getting their toes wet. And I know previously in interviews, he's he's stated his hesitance to do anything until something more official comes out but at the same time like you said they want to kind of give to their fans too well so just one last thing about cobalt press before we go back to wizards um when i was at the seminar um he had specifically said that they are working on a new monster book for fifth edition which they're tentatively uh titling tome of beasts and they say it's got over 350 new monsters that are not currently available in the official monster manual but he did allude to the fact that these are probably monsters you've seen in some iteration in the previous editions so again it's the idea that they can recycle some of the stuff they've already got uh you know tweak it uh maybe reuse some of the art of course he didn't specifically say this but i'm just i'm just hypothesizing that they're going to possibly reuse some of the art so they don't have to commission a whole new book but from the sound of it you're going to put out a book with 350 monsters that's not going to be a cheap little soft cover that's going to have some heft to it and there's going to be some uh some money behind it so you got to wonder does he does he know something we don't and is this a sort of wink wink that there's something coming official because Exactly like you just said, Craig. They're not going to put out all these, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, to get all these books ready, and then before the first one even hits the shelf, get a cease and desist from Wizards and suddenly be out all that cash. So we'll see what happens. It's a pretty ballsy move. I mean, you know, it is. I, I think yeah. honestly, I think what it is is they published the first two modules for technically D and D fifth edition, correct? Yeah. For the Dragon Queen Rise yeah, of Tiamat. Two official ones. Yeah. So all of a sudden they're like, oh, you know what? We did this, so. Ah, uh, you know what? They won't say anything because you know we've published the stuff for them already. So let's put this out and let's see what they let, let. Let's put feelers out, and I think that's what he's doing. Well, and I think what this is showing too is that there are people out there that are craving this content, right? So yeah. I think sooner or later we are going to see some form of third-party licensing thing, which I imagine—I could be wrong—but I imagine would be less restrictive than it was in fourth edition, but maybe not exactly what you had with the OGL and third edition. Well, it's it's really. Um, there, there really is no middle ground with gamers, is there? I mean, everybody <laughs> complained in 4th edition, oh my god, you're putting out way too much books every month, it's something else. Now it's like, well, you're not putting out enough content. Yeah. And- <laughs> oh. uh, on other news, at the uh, Gen Con, they always have the Ennies. The, uh, these, technically, I guess this would be the biggest uh, award show that we have in the role-playing game business. Uh, but 5th uh, edition... D&D cleaned up, cleaned man. Cleaned up. Everything it was nominated for, it won golden. So, and it, quite a number of things. I mean, even down to the best publisher is uh, Wizards of the Coast, right? And traditionally in the past, that's been Paizo. Paizo. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, product of the year is the player's handbook. Even the Dungeon Master screen won an award. Yeah. It's yeah. like, really? The screen? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine, whatever. Best supplement, Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, uh, best free RPG product was the D&D Basic Rules. So, yeah. it definitely cleaned up. I, like I said, everything was nominated for, it won. So, congratulations. Yeah. I, I think that... Yeah, definitely. Congratulations. And I think that's reflective of of gamers in general, right? It's like, yeah, Pathfinder's been out there and it's got this huge following, but I think there was this craving for an all-new Dungeons & Dragons. People yeah. who didn't like 4th Edition really didn't like 4th Edition. And 
wizards took that feedback and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna go in a different direction. We're gonna we're gonna t- take a sharp left turn and show you something new that is not like fourth edition and is more like what you maybe liked in the past." And I think this these you know this because it's voted on by the readers. It's voted on by the nerds yeah. like us who are online and playing the games. And uh, you know, I think it's a statement from the people playing the games that, "Hey, wizards, you've you've done it. You did a good job." You said you were going to do this. You delivered it. We've seen it. We've played it. We like it. Good job. Uh, whether or not they continue to clean up in years to come is a whole other matter. But I, I think this is a very positive affirmation that uh, people are extremely satisfied with what the fifth edition is, considering where it was before this. And, and, and you know what? And be, with the fourth edition, that you know, not or everybody kind of beefed at the end and all that. They've really taken that fourth edition concept and turned it into a really great video game. And I, I hate to say that, but Neverwinter is a phenomenal video game. And they use 4th edition rules. You've got your three or four encounter powers and your couple of dailies, that kind of stuff like that. It's great. Cool. Indeed. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's also very in- indicative of the, uh, the the amount of work that they put into you know, carefully preparing 5th edition to be something that was uniting, that was something for everyone, right? So I think they... they you know, really met a lot of those goals, so it's uh, it's nice to see them get their uh, recognition for that. Well, I think the gamers also, all the gamers out there that actually participated in the playtest, give yourselves a pat on the back, because all that feedback was collected, put together, and what they did is, like you said, Craig, they, they, they worked hard at taking all that feedback, making the changes, and doing still what they want, but if it wasn't for the feedback of the gamers, we wouldn't have the game we have today. Indeed, indeed. And just at the end of Gen Con, moving into more news, uh, Wizards of the Coast has announced, or sorry, I should say Hasbro has announced, that uh, the lawsuit re- around the uh, Dungeons & Dragons movie rights has now been resolved. And Yay! They're, yeah, they're going to move forward with a new D&D movie, so depending if you've seen the other three that exist currently, two of them <laughs> indeed, <laughs> only two available officially in North America, the third one was only over in the UK, but you can uh, find other ways to see it, but anyhow... I mean, they're all of similar qualities, depending on what you think of it. But uh, uh, but basically, yeah, they're moving forward. I think the big news about this, too, is that it's going to be set in the Forgotten Realms. So it's not going to be uh, whatever setting that they had. It was just whatever crazy make up that they had for the movie. So this is going to be set in the established... This is the first time we'll, we'll see the Forgotten Realms on screen. That's not like some sort of fan video, right? Like, this is going to be the real deal, apparently. What actually uh, gets delivered in the end, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, it sounds promising anyway, and it sounds like they're they're trying to take it more seriously. I think with the success that they've had with uh, Transformers, and again, de- depending on what you think of that, right? I know that's the Michael Bay thing, but they have definitely had a lot of success with the with the, their properties, moving them over into movies. So we'll see what they decide to do with the uh, with D and D here. But uh, from what I understand, they already have a script ready to go. That's kind of what initially started this whole lawsuit business, but. There you have it. Very good. Yeah. Now let's let's get on to Gen Con. Gen Con! Gen Con! All right. Well, first, yeah. I would like to <laughs> present an interesting stat that I had just read, it, and I think this is just ticket sales, but in terms of the most popular games played at Gen Con, uh, the top two were Pathfinder, being the first, the top prize with the... Uh, 11,540 seats uh, sold. I'm not sure if that means that how many asses were in seats, but uh, and then Dungeons & Dragons, second place with 8,807. Um, so, there's a little bit of a disparity there, but I think 
uh, as those of us who were there, which is all three of us, can attest, the uh, D&D section felt a little smaller this year. I'm not sure if it actually was, but it seemed to be a little more cramped quarters, whereas uh, Paizo has the whole of the Sagamore ballroom. Yeah, so, well, well, Wizards didn't have much of a, a, a an appearance this year, right? I mean, didn't have much of a presence this year. It, it, I mean, yes, there were a lot of people playing and stuff, but I mean... Sure. Yeah, I just find that we were packed yeah, in it was just smaller. I think if we, we contrasted, because all three of us were there last year. Last year they had a big presence, and it was uh, it was the place to be. At least I think it was. They, they had that big outside party, and they had a, it was everything was just celebrating D&D. It's the 40th anniversary of D&D. We're launching 5th edition. You know, let's have fun. Yeah. This year, still lots of fun to be had, absolutely. But it just, it didn't, you could really feel their absence, I think. It was back yeah. to pre-party stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, fun. we did get access to some uh, Season 3, the Rage of Demons scenarios for Adventures League. So that was great to be able to, to play through some of those, especially for us who DM a lot. So these are adventures that we haven't had a chance to read yet. So we got to experience it as new players. Uh, you know, the DM that we had at our table was excellent. He was awesome. Yeah, it was just amazing. So we definitely had a great time in terms of that. Let me, uh, here, I just want to go back to the stats for a minute. Um, One of the other stats that uh, is interesting to note here is the general attendance numbers. So according to the EN world here, they've got that um, Gen Con set a record. uh, The attendance was 61,423 individual attendees, and that was 197,695 turnstiles. So just over 61,000 attendance and almost 200,000 turnstile, and uh, that's been an uh, annual growth uh, since 2010 has been 9%, uh, and it's more than doubled the attendance. So Gen Con is becoming a big deal. Uh, I got to think, you know, there's a lot of contributing factors to that, things like the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, as well as other new games coming out. But I think you also have to look at things like uh, San Diego Comic-Con, which have always been popular but are continuing to grow just because of a shift in pop culture in general. So hopefully we continue to see growth at Gen Con, and hopefully we continue to see... Uh, a lot of new games uh, out there, now, as, well as, as well as old favorites. Now, another thing that I saw uh, on the internet is somebody had posted um, Gen Con being 61,000 people that have attended this year. And if you were to look on, on a country scale, it is the 251st largest country in the world. Uh, just ahead of Bermuda and just below, I forget the name of the other country, but they had it on a stat. So if Gen Con was a country, it'd be the 251st largest. Well, I, I certainly felt that there was a, a bigger presence this year. It seemed to be more bustling with people. Um, but it's funny, because my first year going was 2010. It was my first Gen Con. And, uh, you know, again, according to N-World, they have, um, you know, the, the article here is titled, It's Doubled in Size Since 2010. So it's just crazy to think that in that short span of time that they've almost doubled their attendance. Yeah. Well, well, funny enough, I, I just want to say too that obviously there's a big, um, there's a big uh, increase in you know tabletop gaming popularity, and um, I was just at a video game store tonight, for example, one of the ones I haven't been to for a very long time, but since uh, since I've last been there, they've increased uh, their stock. Now half of the store is board games and RPGs and stuff, and the other half is video games. So. It's it's fine just to see how that because you know back in the day when video games were coming out a lot of people thought that that was sort of the end of tabletop gaming but clearly not. 
Well, I think we owe a big thanks to Will Wheaton and the Tabletop Show and sure. also to uh, even Big Bang Theory. Um, you know, oh, yeah. the nerd is chic. I, I use that term at work whenever I try and have like board game events where I'm like, you know, nerd is chic. Gaming is, is the new in thing to do. Like, come on out and try it. And, and it is, it absolutely is. People are coming out and they're like, Oh, I saw this on TV and Oh, Hey, isn't this what they played on big bang theory? And I'm like, yeah, it sure is. Come on, sit down. I'll teach you how to play. So, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a shift in the right direction. <laughs> the nerds will inherit the earth. Yeah. No, seriously. <laughs> Indeed, slowly but surely, it has taken over, right? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll see Gen Con Gold. Because i got to say, I, I didn't think it was really going to increase much more than we had last year. I kind of thought that the fact that 5th edition was launched, and it was the 40th anniversary of D&D, that, you know, it felt like there was a couple of milestones there that caused a surge in attendance. I didn't know if it would necessarily meet that high mark or just sort of hover around the same. But I'm happy to see that uh, I was wrong, that they did certainly increase even further. Nice. Nice. Okay, back to Gen Con proper. So, when we were doing our Gen Con preview before the uh, the tickets went on sale, and we were throwing out some ideas and hey, make sure you do this and check out that. One of the things we deliberately did not do, out of very personal and selfish reasons, was we didn't really plug the all access pass because we wanted <laughs> we didn't want people to you know horn in on the limited number of tickets that we needed to get in on. So bad on us. Fine. We did get six all-access passes for our six our six gamers so that we would have a full table. We had it last year. It was amazing. We only had five last year, but fortunately we managed to find a sixth before the convention started, and uh, it was great. This year we had a full six. Great. We want to do it. So for those who are, are not explicitly in the know, you can buy each individual ticket to each individual event, uh, no problem, should there be availability. The idea with the all-access pass is they specifically announce – Certain games, usually high-demand games, so in this case, both of the two epics that were being run, as well as uh, two other games, so four altogether, and they said, you're going to get these four games in these exact slots, you get to play with the exact same DM the whole time, you get to play at the exact same table the whole time, and this is part of the all-access pass experience, but the price is a lot more. So to buy the four tickets individually for these games runs in the neighborhood of about 40 to 50 bucks. To get the all-access pass... It's a flat 150 So you're paying $100 extra. And part of what you're getting is this exclusivity. You're getting these A-plus DMs who you're going to have the whole time through. Now, in previous years, um, other swag had been provided as a bonus to the all-access pass. Now, to be clear, this was not explicitly covered in the, in the description. It said, you're going to get this game. And there may be surprises. There may be this wow factor. But it was never explicitly said, you will get X, Y, Z. But the first year they did it, people were playing the Dragon Spear Castle adventure. They got that module, and I believe it was signed by all the developers and the writers. And some of the Wizards' personalities and, and uh, authors of the novels came by to meet and greet all the people at the all-access pass tables. You know, it was a thing that made you feel special. When we had ours last year, similarly... It was the launch of the 5th edition. We got a player's handbook. Everybody at the table got a player's handbook. And everybody at the table got a monster manual. Now, this was six to eight weeks before it was ready to hit shelves. And the monster manual was signed by all the top people from Wizards that worked on it. And it was awesome. This year, there was no free swag. You got you got your table with your, with your same DM. And we were very lucky. We got an amazing DM. Not knocking that at all. He was awesome. But this year, 
you didn't have at the convention this feeling of exclusivity that had clearly been there the two years prior. All the tables were mashed together. The all-access people were right next to the people who just bought regular tickets. There was no other way to denote that you were all-access versus not all-access. I mean, you always got the same adventure that everyone else was playing, but um, there was, was, you know, there's nothing special above and beyond. Well, even last year, we got what? We got a sticker to glue onto our badge last year that said all-access pass, like VIP member. Let's go. Roped-off section, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was like a rope. Yeah, exactly. And this year, space, the the Dungeons & Dragons space was so jam-packed you know, obviously they need to get as many tables into the area they've got, but the all-access area was not separated in any way. It had, I think, a different colored placemats or tablecloths on it just to denote, hey, you guys are at the black tablecloths instead of the blue tablecloths. Like, whoopee-doo. <laughs> I didn't think that was worth 100 bucks. So at the end of the con, there were a lot of people who were really angry who said, hey, last year the 100 bucks went to, the extra 100 bucks went towards two hardcover books. Year before that, the extra actually the first year. Correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't 150. It was only 100, wasn't it? Or yeah, even right. 100 or yeah. 75. It, it one or the other. It wasn't the same. It was cheaper. Right. And basically, if you added together the cost of all the tickets plus the cost of the Dragon Spear Castle module, that worked out to be pretty close to what you what you paid for. So this year, the expectation was well, 50 for most people. I mean, for me, and I, I mean, you guys can jump in if if this doesn't adequately reflect your thoughts. Was the, the cost of playing is going to be around 50 bucks. The other 100 will provide me with something. We were hoping with maybe a hardcover copy of the uh, the upcoming Out of the Abyss, even though it's not coming out for another month or so, um, but something. So when the con was over and we didn't get anything, there was a tremendous feeling of disappointment. A lot of people use terms like, I felt like I was ripped off. I felt like there was not switch. full disclosure. I felt like there was a bait and switch, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some people... Were, were so angry at the time that they took out they took out their frustration on the people that run Baldman's game, Baldman Games, which is the group that organizes the Adventurers League. Um, I know because I talked to some people, like there was a lot of yelling. There were people who said things that clearly crossed the line. I mean, hey, you could be angry and you might be frustrated. And hey, I was angry and frustrated too. But the guys that run these conventions, they do a hell of a lot of work. And after four days of running the con on top of all the work and the prep, you know, hearing the F-bomb from 50 people in a row about why you're upset is not productive. And so I know that emotions were high, tempers were flaring, a lot of people, you know, really laid into the Baldwin Games guys. And from what I heard, a few of them probably took it a little too personally and, and fired some shots back. And a lot of people went to the internet, they went to Twitter, they went to Facebook, they went to uh, Bowman Games site, they went to EN World, they went to all these other forums, at Reddit and, and even the Wizards forums, and there was a lot of hate going on from the people that paid for these all-access passes. I'll admit, I had a couple of choice words on Twitter, which, you know, I think were maybe a little bit harsh, but at the same time, you know, I wanted people to know. I felt like I didn't get what I paid for. It's been, what, four days now since Gen Con ended? Yeah, that's about right. So today, on the Baldwin Games website... So, okay, first of all, the day after Gen Con, on Baldwin Games, uh, Dave Chris, the Baldman, bald man himself, posted an editorial where he basically... I, I think we could safely say he basically apologized to people, saying, you know, we thought that we were giving you this quality experience and... He apologized for the fact that 
people who felt that they got ripped off or that there was this bait and switch, that was certainly not the intent. There was no malicious intent. There was no, you know, it wasn't behind the screen. I took $100 from everybody. Like, it wasn't anything like that at all. Um, and he did a very, he put, did a very good job of summarizing sort of what the, the most common criticisms were and how he planned to address those in future years. And I think that if you haven't read his editorial, you should. It's very well written. It's very even-handed. And I think it comes across as extremely genuine. And, I mean, I, I know the guy personally a little bit, and I get the sense that this, this, is, this is him sort of from the heart, at the same time trying to, like, suppress any rage or anger that he might rightly have towards some people who clearly went over the line in their expression of their dissatisfaction. A couple of days later, today, there's now a new article where they posted and said, okay, in order to make this right, Baldman Games and Wizards of the Coast are working together to make sure that everybody who bought an all-access pass will get a complimentary, absolutely 100% free copy of the upcoming Rage of Demons hardcover adventure, which is what I think a lot of people were expecting at the con. They're going to make good and provide this after. Now, again, to be clear, the all-access pass never actually said you were going to get this stuff. But people seemed, myself included, expected that you were going to get something, and this was the most likely something people expected. So they've stepped up. They said, look, people are angry. We recognize that. We're going to try and make it right. This is what we're doing. They're also going to provide uh, free codes for the video game. Help me out. What's it called? Circos Legends. Circos Legends. Thank you. Circos Legends coming out in a few weeks. We just talked about they're going to provide uh, complimentary download codes for that so the people uh, who have paid for the all-access pass get a copy of that as well. So the question might be, well, if they ended up giving this to us anyway at the end, why didn't they give this to us at the con to avoid all these problems? That's a whole other discussion. I don't have the behind-the-scenes info. I can't speak to it. I'm very happy with the way this is being resolved, despite my initial misgivings of how things played out at the con. Uh, If even half the things that Baldwin has suggested he's going to work on for next year come to fruition, I think the all-access pass is going to continue to be the ticket to have if you're going to Gen Con. But let's wait and see how things play out. Um, Anyway, that's that's my more-than-five-second rant. You guys are both there. You guys both bought all access passes. Jump in. What do you think? Craig? Oh, you want me to go first? Nice. Oh no. I, I mean, we can we can go together. I mean, we've got oh, enough. Yeah, no, we've fine. got enough fodder. Uh, basically, yeah, like, I mean, I agree with everything Derek says. I mean, I also felt the same way. I felt that we, you know, it felt like we kind of got uh, screwed over a little bit. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, like you were saying too, Derek. You know, I wasn't about to go up there and scream and just be completely unreasonable. I mean, everyone there was working the hardest. And again, like like you said, we had a great DM. Uh, so I mean, we we certainly had fun at our table, and we were lucky to have have this DM and, and to be able to to play with this DM throughout the whole of the all access pass period. But yeah, like at the end of the day, it, you know, this, the missing stuff was disappointing. But you know. It was also the fact, like like you were saying, you know, you didn't have the uh, roped off section and and the sort of more spaced out. You didn't have the the quote unquote celebrity uh, personalities there to visit. Like there was nothing to really make you di- feel differentiated from any of the regular tables. We were all just kind of shoved in together, and that's what I said earlier that I felt like the space was a lot smaller and it was harder to hear. There's a lot of shouting, a lot of leaning in to hear what uh, what was being said at, at certain points. 
Um, and, you know, even the fact that they didn't have a PA system, because uh, last year they did. So when there was the Epic, they were able to announce things out loud to the audience. Whereas this year, uh, we didn't have that. So it felt like the even during the Epics, a lot of the tables weren't as interactive and as connected with one another. So there was just some disappointments there. So, you know, like, like I said, everyone kind of went home feeling like, oh, well, that was just kind of like money down the drain. But... Again, the same the same as you were saying, I feel that that you know, with their response, like you know that that's absolutely true. I you know I did not for a second think that they were evil villains out just to snag up our money. But I you know I was wondering what the heck did they have in mind when they won't set this up? But seeing them sort of uh, you know uh, make amends now, and also knowing that uh, you know they've even said that uh, they want to make it a more transparent program in 2016 and beyond. So. You know, my expectation is that for you know whatever they decide to do next year, it's going to be pretty straightforward and laid out. This is what you will get with this pass. No, no more mystery uh, of around what benefits you have. It's just going to be very straightforward. But very cool because I mean they really didn't have to to do this, right? Like Gen Con's over, they could have just moved on to the next year. But the fact that you know, like I know Wizards of the Coast has probably been hearing a lot of the feedback as well, so. It's very cool that they're that they're reaching out and that they're making this uh, sort of uh, thing to make things right. So yep. I appreciate it, and, and and definitely they did a very, you know, they had a very difficult job. You know, lots of DMs there were were just like they just were there to DM the whole con. They didn't really even have a chance to enjoy the con for themselves. So yeah, well, yeah, and and I mean at the end of the day, even if they had given us those books at the convention, it wouldn't have changed our play experience at all. It's no, not that's those it. books gave us, you know, it's like, well, without the book, we weren't able to make use of these rules. I mean, there might be new rule options in there, but it's nothing we would have necessarily put into play. And I had, a, like you said, I had a great time. I yeah. don't think if I had had the book on the first day or the last day, it would have changed anything about my play experience. That part of it was great across the board, and I wouldn't have changed anything whether I had the book or not. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's unfortunate that, that this experience happened, but you know what? Like, on, they've learned, and well, hopefully they've learned. We'll see what happens next well, year. And, uh, yeah, the, well, in terms of proactivity, I mean, the, the, I mean, see, see, my frustration lies in the fact, not necessarily that, do we get swag or not? I mean, yeah, okay, I was upset that I didn't get any swag, all that kind of stuff. But it's not the fact that, did I get swag or not? It was the value added of the badge itself. I could have gone to all these guys and gotten four great DMs and and had just one hell of a con for forty bucks, right? But you pay one hundred and fifty bucks, you expect a little something. Now, I don't care if I get a book, I don't care if I get a video game download or whatever like that. But treat us like we're somebody. It's like it's like booking at a hotel at a at Four Seasons Hotel and you're treated like Super Eight. That's how I felt. As long and short, I felt completely ignored. I felt I felt like there was no effort whatsoever put into it. I, I'm not talking about behind the scenes and getting everything organized. I'm just saying in terms of treating their VIGs, and I expect to be treated a little more like a VIG. You know, mm-hmm. oh, do you guys want water? You know, and I'm sorry. I mean, our DM was fantastic, but he's not worth a hundred dollars of our money just just for four games, <laughs> right? Honestly, yeah. twenty five bucks a game. Like I could have paid ten and gotten a mediocre DM. Fine. But I think that's where my my huge disappointment lied is that I look value added and it's like you know I booked four seasons but got super eight. That's how I saw it. Yeah, and I mean it's also important to know too, like like we said 
that they've done the all access program two years before this and they they it's been a hit both years so it's not that i i don't think that baldwin games doesn't know what they're doing or anything like that but I, you know i i gotta think that because Wizards of the coast had a very sort of hands-off approach this year to gen con i think that must have thrown been for a, a loop. Source of, yeah thrown for a loop and uh, you know you have that much less support not to say that uh, that that they don't want to support it but it's just that sort of realigning of their strategy has kind of uh it failed. Yeah, like, yeah it, it just it didn't work out. They could have used a little more support, maybe. I don't know. Exactly. But, you know, either way, now they know what they're facing for next year, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even or, even in terms of organization, I hate to bring this up, is that the adventures themselves, you know, the two epics were very disappointing to me. Um, that, that was another thing also. RDM, once again, phenomenal. But I thought epics were like four hours long, and I thought it was extremely interactive with everybody else. And, uh, yeah, this year, you know, 45 minutes waiting for responses. You get to play 15 minutes. That wasn't my... I mean, it it was loosey-goosey this year. Well, I do remember last year there was that... It was more of a three-hour thing as well because they had to prepare everything for the first hour. And then there was breaks in between if you finish your stuff ahead of time. But I think the, one of the big missing things, again, was sort of having that, like authoritative voice of God type situation of having like a, a PA speaker to announce when things are happening. Because I remember when we did Corruption in, in Crypt Garden, they'd be like, the green flag is raised! And then there would be the dragon that was flying. And everybody was like, huzzah! You know, like there yeah, was a little yeah. more interaction that way. And this year, but, this I, but year, I still felt like 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock, oh, okay, well, that's something else I want to talk about. But. <laughs> I think I can talk about it. But yeah, there, there was, uh, I mean, I think, like, I mean, I, I know there was like a ballista that was being fired from various tables and there were things that they could have done that I think if we had some sort of PA system where we had yeah. someone rushing around would have made all the difference because actually I thought the epics in terms of the story they were fun uh, there was lots of I mean they especially the third um, the third season one I, I won't give any spoilers away for those who have yet to experience them and if you're not going to a big con then I'll have to look online for it and I guess too bad sorry yeah, <laughs> I know I don't, I don't want to spoil that part of the program for them but they definitely set it up where you could see I, I see how this works like where other tables are going to be doing separate things while you're doing this and, like it certainly felt like the setup was there but like you said uh, you know the experience itself just it kind of then we just kind of got sucked into our own little table and there was not really any interaction like it felt like last year but if I remember correctly the epic we did last year we had to be there at a certain time, and four hours later, we were done. And I found that went by so quickly. So, so quickly. But this year, you know, I found that, okay, well, we get there, and then we're farting around for an hour, and then we have a 45-minute break. I mean, how many times did we all go to the bathroom in that pause? We went Separately, of course. We didn't all go to the bathroom. Oh, well, of course, of course. I mean, we're not all females. Yeah, definitely. Now, in all fairness, though, Mark, to, to, uh, for last year, you know, our, our DM we had for our All Access Pass last year was certainly not an A-plus DM. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I mean, it's been a year now, so I think it's sort of safe, you know. He did not do a great job. Um, and I think, from what I remember from all the games he ran, one of the problems he had was pacing. And I found that we were always running behind schedule. So I think last, from what I remember last year from the Epic, it was, it didn't feel like there was as much waiting around because it took him, like, the table just took longer to get stuff done. Whereas this year, we had six friends. We've all played together. We all knew each other's characters. The DM was amazing. And we just were able to come in and, like, bang, we got crap done. And so I think that, you know, it was almost like we were victims of our own efficiency. Had we been six total strangers who had never met, 
we'd still be getting to know the people. You'd still be getting to know each other's characters. Um, and so I think that was part of but part of why it took so long. I agree. Why we had so much downtime. Yeah, maybe the first epic, I would agree with that. But the second epic, definitely not. Uh, the second epic, they told us to be there at 9 o'clock. And we finished by... Actually, no, we didn't start until 9.20 because it said start time 9.20. We didn't start before that. Then all of a sudden we, fi- we finished quarter to 11 or 20 to, or 20 to 12. And you know what? Two hours for an epic? Really? And they had a hard stop time as well of 11.50, that, I believe. And that's what I'm talking yeah. about. I mean, I was dis- not disappointed with the story. I mean, with you, Craig, I found the story was phenomenal. With, uh, you know, and, and we could have done probably a 12-hour adventure out of that, just a little adventure. That's great. But it's, uh, I don't know, it was just lacking. And on top of that, the time, and this is the next point I was going to bring. What is it with the times? Why why would they slot all the D&D, access, all access passes, so late at night? Yeah, Thurs- I agree. That, that, was, that was unusual. Thursday night is kind of a get-together for all friends and stuff like that, just to kind of meet up, say, hey, play a couple of board games. Friday night, okay, Friday night's kind of a, one of those wasteful nights. You could have put it then. But Saturday night, 9 to 12? That's kind of like... Isn't get- that when we did it last year was Saturday no, night? No. I don't believe it was. Oh, it was the afternoon. That's right. It was right. the afternoon, 4 to 8. Yeah. yeah that's and right. then after that, we went out and we got liquored. You know, <laughs> but but it's just it's just one of those things where that's what you got to do. And then for us to be there still at twelve thirty, one o'clock in the morning. I mean, not that I would have been going out drinking well, that night, but yeah, I, I, I late nights. I, this yeah, go on, Craig. Well, I was just gonna say that I think I mean we don't know what the convention center wanted for that particular hall, right? Because the first night we did it, midnight, boom, lights all went off. The fu- hall is full of people, right? So I, I don't know what the story was behind that, but it was just it was suddenly dark. And there was yeah, a lot was, of that, was crazy. that had to be so a fire was, hazard. Like. Yeah, yeah, that was not safe. <laughs> uh, I mean, they did. Thankfully, they turned it back on after a couple of minutes, but it was still an unusual situation. Uh, so the next time the, when we did the third season epic, it was hard stop eleven fifteen. I I kind of wondered if that was maybe because the convention center didn't want to have such a huge crowd in there so late. I'm I'm just taking a but guess. So, but that's what I'm saying. But why do they have all the all access pass no, people? I, I, I completely agree. Like, well, it was everyone. Like, even if you were just a general, that those were the only times the epics were being run. Uh, yeah, it's maybe it, they ran them that late just so that it would be less chance of conflicting with other events, yeah, and be. they were trying to maximize the number of people that could play. Um, again, we could we could speculate. We don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. true. Uh, but no, it, but this uh, was definitely the latest of all the Gen Cons I've been to, and this was my eighth. This is the one where I was. Doing things and at events and playing games the latest, the most nights in a row. Like almost yeah. every night, we had something till eleven or twelve o'clock. And yeah, in most yeah. days, I had to be like, I did my seminar nine o'clock in the morning, two days in a row. And after being up till after midnight in the convention hall, like it was long days and it was tiring. Like I was, you know, yeah. I, I admit it, I was kind of happy when it was done because it's like good. Now I can rest. Like that, we came home. I, we had the Monday off of work because it was a holiday. I slept most of the day. Like, it was recoup from the four days prior. I agree. I had the same thing. I was up to at least midnight every night with stuff, like, doing stuff. Whereas when I returned home, slept in the next day. But even through it the next day, I, was, I kept nodding off through the day because I was so tired, so exhausted. Wow. Totally worth it, though. Not complaining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's a good tired. Kind of exhausted. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I had to recoup, so. <laughs> but, yeah, like, takeaways, I think, for them... I think I would like to see better presentational elements, even like I said, something like a PA or having that one loud sort of voice, even if you had a loudspeaker or something like that, that you're running around being like for the Epic. I mean, 
uh, being able to to make it feel like everything's a little more connected because I did feel like it was kind of removed from everything, and I think just some of the presentational elements could have been adjusted enough that it would have it would have made all that difference. Agreed. And well, of course, the timing think, schedule. I'm I'm thinking like in today's modern day age, how why can you not have some of this stuff pre-recorded, posted somewhere, and like either have a YouTube page or a web page where you just say you know you signal the DMs who have their cell phones there or their iPads open, and you're like, play MPEG number six, and you yeah. play it, and it's like the king has come to you and awarded you with a blah 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 you have them all pre-recorded on every table then you don't need a loudspeaker that you're not going to be able to understand in half of the hall anyway you have some sort of personal audio device right there on the table even all the players it's like players press you know button number six is what's happening now and and it's like okay hey look what happened well remember they used to do the cg trailers before some of the encounter seasons yeah well, I mean, I don't need anything dragon. that fancy schmancy. It can just no, be no, but like it could be just still art stuff. Yeah. Guys, yeah, like you have Jeremy Crawford going. All right, epic players, you're about to, you know, session number two coming right. Like it doesn't have to be fancy or, or well, uh, you know, he doesn't have to be yeah. a character. He can even say, "This is so and so from Wizards." Thank you. You know, this is Baldwin Games. They can even put a commercial on it. Thank you for playing through Baldwin Games, and like really play up the fact that this is affecting the storyline going forward right but they have uh, like uh, even at the very end of the third uh, of the third season epic they had you know everyone gather up close to to D hq where they they're going to tell us what the results are this is how the tables did but they had no loudspeaker it was just one guy shouting it to a huge crowd of people to one direction and uh, you know we weren't able to uh to hear him properly and everyone's like i can't hear you so with it with those added shows made it even harder to understand what was going on and they were typing up the results on the screen for you to see but it was just like like you know table one good to go table three too bad so sad right like it was like mm, yeah that's not really telling me much of anything so I was like i guess i'll wait for a recap after the show yeah yeah i mean there were clearly uh, there were clearly certain outcomes you know even if it was just success or failure for certain things you know you could easily have a lot of those things done up ahead of time and then like you said it's just if you're going to flash them on a screen have them ready because they clearly they had someone physically there typing it out it's like you can only go one of two or three ways each time like have them ready have a web page built i i I realize they already do a ton of work to prep it but some of these things like don't take a lot of extra time and if it means getting one more volunteer in there the day of Gen Con hey we need you in here for two hours before the epic we want you to you know pre-type all of these responses so that when we know what happens we just click a button like I, I just I think that's a takeaway of, of a way they can improve it um, well you know what come to think of it I mean the way that I see the, how little we were coddled I guess in, in what we wanted it really looked like they came unprepared and I don't know if it's whether it's on their part because he always seemed to be very well organized versus maybe wizard pulled out at the last minute. Did we know that there was going to be a less presence? Like we don't know the behind the scenes, right? Definitely. And I mean, I, I, you know, I really don't want to knock Baldwin games and their organizational skills, but it was really not well organized this year per se. Like, I, like you said, in terms of sound effects, uh, um, timing and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it was just a last minute thing. Um, who knows? I mean, we can only speculate, right? Well, yeah. actually, I, th- I think there have been reports that apparently, and I wasn't aware of this, but apparently it was it was known ahead of time that, like, for almost a full year, that uh, Wizards was not going to be very involved in uh, Gen Con this year. 
Okay, so that's just under preparation. Yeah. Well, anyway. I mean, again, I don't know for sure, but that's just yeah. what I read. So, yeah, so a few takeaways. I mean, you know, hopefully they'll uh, they'll live up to their rep next year. And uh, we'll see how the all-access pass goes from there. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that, like, all the stuff we're talking about, this is, like, meant to be constructive criticism, right? Like, help yeah. for, yeah. like, h- how to handle it next year kind of going forward, right? So, I mean, obviously we all appreciated all the work that they've done. I mean, it's a lot of hard work. It's I'm sure it felt like a lot of thankless work for, for them this year. But, uh, but, you know, I mean, some feathers are ruffled, and uh, hopefully we can pick up the show. I mean, certainly the, I think they're, they're, they're doing a good job at making up for it and, you know, owning up to that, you know, people didn't have a great time in these cases. But this is what we're going to do moving forward. And, and also, here you go, we're going to give you the new book, sorry, for your experience, right? So... I mean, let's just, we can all just kind of move on from there, I think. Yeah, and I think we can all agree that if it wasn't for our DM this year, we, I, we probably would have shaken our heads all the way back to Toronto. Oh, man, yeah. Like, honestly, yeah. If, if it wasn't for such a great DM, it, you know, it would have been, I don't know. It just would have not. <laughs> it would have been very depressing. <laughs> yeah. Now, and, and again, I had I played a few other games outside of our All Access Pass, and I had uh, great DMs for all the games I played. Uh, including some D&D and some other role-playing systems. I got really lucky this year. I had good DMs, if not great DMs, for all my games. And it, it's just a reminder that, you know, a good game master does make all the difference. If it, 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 you sometimes don't recognize how significant a good game master is until you've had a few sessions with a bad one. And then you sort of realize all the things that are done right and how it really makes that, that big a difference. And uh, for me personally, I mean... I run games twice a week, every week, all year long, and it, you know, I, I it, it sort of reinforces that I got to stay at the top of my game because I got anywhere from four to seven people at the table, and I want to make sure they're having a good time every week. I don't want them to be leaving my table and going, "Man, that guy sucked." Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely make sure if you've got a DM who's doing a good job, let them know, say thank you, uh, tell them what they're doing right, and if you've got a DM that you don't think is doing a good job. Uh, let them know that as well. I mean, don't be a jerk about it, but give them constructive criticism. P- provide suggestions on how they might change or improve. And, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do it in front of everybody, but uh, DMs get better uh, by by taking your feedback and working on it. Uh, you know, it's, it's like any other skill. you got to practice, practice, practice. The more you do it, the better you get. And the more feedback you get on how to improve, the better you're going to get. So For shout sure. out to all the DMs and the GMs that I had at Gen Con. You were all amazing. Indeed. All right. I think that's a uh, good good note to end it on. You guys got anything else? No, I I guess I guess we got our our event out uh, and provided some constructive criticism. So uh, take what you can, and uh, like Derek says, just you can only get better by looking at yourself in a mirror. And 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 let's 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 go and move forward for next year. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. All right. Well, well then, I guess we're uh, we're calling it. Sounds good. So this uh, concludes Recounting Encounter special episode, Gen Con episode. So until next week, have yourselves a blast. Indeed. You can follow me on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. And be sure to visit DungeonsMaster.com for original D&D 4th edition material, including a weekly field report of my D&D encounters experiences. And follow me on Twitter at 20foot and visit 20footradius.blogspot.com for your weekly dose of D&D encounters. That's 20footradius20ftradius.blogspot.com. Until then, have a blast.